0: Ah, feels good to be here again in front of y'all. Seems like not too long ago. All right. To start this off, we're going to talk about a girl, a young lady. Now, this girl is very popular, very popular. Um. And as I begin to characterize her and give away some of the details of her personality, I'm pretty sure everybody in here is going to know exactly who I'm talking about. Uh, First off, this girl is very attractive. Um, Just to keep it simple, she's very well put together. And I know I have a wife, and wife, baby, you're the most beautiful woman I've laid eyes on, but I can't deny that this woman is very attractive. Otherwise, I'd be lying. Now, I was actually in a conversation, was, was dope I was actually in a conversation the other day with a young lady who said that every guy that she knows, every single guy without one, every guy either is enamored by or less over this, this woman, every guy she knows. And this is a believer. And in the midst of this conversation, I realized that it doesn't just stop with, uh, the, the male persuasion. Even women are enamored by or lust over this woman. The way she dresses grabs your attention. It's very appealing. She flaunts herself around all the time. Every time I see her, she appeals to my eye and I have to automatically turn and look away. Uh, she's not modest by any stretch of the imagination. There is no modesty whatsoever in what she wears or how she presents herself. Um, yet not everything about her is sexual. Uh, for the sake of the argument, she, she does have a sense of wisdom about her. Now, it's not God's sort of wisdom, but it is wisdom in the sense that uh, people look to her as far a- and see her wisdom in terms of what it means to be successful. What it means to advance in life here on earth. Uh, the girl has mad riches. She's got crazy dough, probably more than most of us in here have. Um, and not only does she have dough, but she's promised you the same dough if you get with her. I'm sure you'll probably have many benefits or chances to attain this, this dough also. Uh, now, this girl, not only is she physically beautiful, Not only uh, would some of you, most of us, lust over her, uh, not only is she rich, and not only does she promise those same riches to you, uh, and not only is she wise, not by God's wisdom, but by man's wisdom, but she's also in total opposition to the things of God, as we can kind of tell by the way I'm describing her. This girl, she always leads to sin, and most times she leads to death. I myself have had first-hand experience with this girl. But unfortunately, there's someone in in, in our midst, he's not here today, Um, but there's someone, uh, our Pastor Branch, who actually used to date this girl. (laughs) And for those of y'all who don't know, uh, this girl's name is World. World. Not so much the people, but the world is a system, a way of doing things. God doesn't want to patch the world up hoping there's hope. He's already told us there's no hope for this world. <laughs> uh, so today, I want to talk about overcoming the world. Overcoming the world. And what role loving God and loving the people of God play in overcoming the world. Turn with me to First John. First John chapter 5. First John, chapter five. First John, chapter five. All right, let's read. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the father loves whoever has been born of him. Verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is born of the Christ. Here the Christian brother is described by his faith. John is describing him by his faith. He that believes that Jesus is the Christ. He that believes that he's the Messiah, that he is the son of God by nature and by office, that he is the chief of the whole anointed world, that he is the chief, the head of all the prophets, priests, and king, that he is the son of God. Or Everyone who believes that Jesus is the son of God, so he's described by his faith. Number two, uh, has been born of God, so the believer is dignified by his descent, meaning he's born of God. The principle of faith or the new nature that springs from uh, being born of God uh, is generated by the spirit of God. Therefore, sonship and adoption are no longer appropriated under the Abrahamic scene according to the flesh. That being said, all believers, as we know, are products of sin, uh, yet because of the work of the Spirit, we're descended from God. So everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ uh, has been born of God or now is descended um, from God. Uh, In the next verse, we're going to look at love being clarified, love being clarified, Uh, and Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. What John is saying here is whether or not a believer exhibits an admirable life, he should be an object of his fellow Christian's love. Whether or not that believer is meeting up to the norm or the standard, the, the degree with which we love our brothers and sisters in Christ should not change. Now, I'm clumping myself into this category because we have the church a very, we the church are very good at condemning and judging people or not loving them like we should because they don't benefit us. Mm. And we do this to the world at, at, almost at a fault. And that's one thing. But even amongst the church, there's dissension because the way that we love is, is, is completely jacked up. I was told uh, uh, and I was in a conversation the other day and a believer came up to me and we were talking about uh, church uh, and our relationship with people in the church. And basically what they said to me in a nutshell was, I don't mess with church people. This is a believer talking. And, And she said, I don't mess with church people because, number one, they're untrustworthy. They gossip. I don't feel loved. I would much rather chill with the people in the world because they love me more. Did somebody say all? Did I hear that? No, okay. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Uh, But the love that uh, we're supposed to have, the love that John here is clearly displaying um, says that, uh, okay, the love that we should have for our fellow believers shouldn't spring from something likable in their personality. It shouldn't spring from the position that they hold. It shouldn't just come because you like them a lot and they get along with everybody else. Uh, Like that's not the the type of love that God is calling us to have. Uh, He's not calling us to have a love based on how we can benefit, but we're supposed to love our fellow believers based on their paternity, based on who they've descended from. And since we all have been born uh, from Christ, And through the spirit, and they've been born and descended from Christ through the spirit, we're supposed to love them, number one, because we have the same father, number two, because they're now our brothers and sisters. So basically, a love for God's children is not mere sentiment or verbal expression, but is inseparable from loving God and obeying his commandments. And it's evident. It's evident. You can always tell when somebody... Doesn't really like the people of God or doesn't really like being around the people of God, Uh, because most times uh, people who don't enjoy the people of God, they just want to be around uh, so that they can either know all about your business and then gossip. Uh, You can tell because they usually don't have close relationships with people who are Christ minded uh, and that the Lord will use to sanctify them in their spiritual growth. Uh, And most times they're all about themselves and will just jump from person to person, dumping all their baggage and all of their junk and just become like a leech where they're emotionally draining the the community, the body. Uh, Now, if you're one of these types of people, if you know a person like this, it's imperative that you evaluate whether or not you really enjoy the people of the Lord whether or not you really uh, love them. Now, this is key because a love for the people of God is really just an indicator of the fruitfulness uh, that you have in a relation to the source, the source being God himself. Again, what it means to love, to obey his commands. Uh, The apostle John here is reducing love for God and his fellow believers to a basic understanding. A person who obeys God's commands is doing what is right, both towards God and towards his fellow believers. And is essentially loving God um, and his fellow believers. But I want to make sure that we're seeing this love to God and other believers in the same light as the one uh, whom we receive this love from. So turn with me to 1 John 3, uh, 16 and 17. 1 John 3, 16 and 17. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? This love, this love that tells us to love God and our brothers, it must be remembered as one that includes the willingness to sacrifice for one's brother. So here we see how John clarifies what love looks like. If you believe that Jesus is the son of God, you have been born by God, which would then cause you to love the father. And if you love the father, then you also love his other children, who are your brothers and sisters. This is the essence of God's commandments. I mean, you can even peep it back in the Old Testament, talking to Israel, love God, love your neighbor. So this isn't anything new he's telling them. This is an old commandment. So if you're here looking for something new, you're at the wrong place. And here lies the truth of our love to God, and it appears in our obedience. For it says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And keeping his commandments requires a spirit to do so, and not only a spirit that is inclined to do so, but a spirit that enjoys in keeping his commandments. Jump back to 1 John 5 with me. Verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Love and power. Because we love like this, because we love in this way, uh, because we love God and determined to to be obedient and to keep his commandments, because we uh, love him, his commands are made easy and pleasant to us. God's love in his people gives them an earnest desire to love and please him. So with eagerness, we keep his commandments. And these very commandments we are trying to keep, if rightly understood, should bring to believers great freedom and joy and not oppression. So turn with me to Matthew, Matthew chapter 11 real quick. You don't have to turn. It's going to be real quick. You can if you want to, though. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here the Lord Jesus is very simply making an appeal for you to come into relationship with him, to be discipled by him and enjoying him will then cause him to live through you which makes your burden a lot easier. Um, that's what life in Christ does. So the lover of God says, Oh, how I love your law. I will run the way of your commandments for you will enlarge my heart. So obedience to his commandments, loving his commandments, serving him for those that love God is not hard stuff for the believers. This should not be a hard task to accomplish. Again, he is promising us rest, uh, because he is working for us and what's better than working for us. Uh, uh, I mean, what's better than a God who is infinite, holy, and gracious enough to stoop down and work for us? uh, Because in him working for us, he frees you up to enjoy him forever. You see, in him working for us rather than needing our work, he magnifies his own glorious self-sufficiency. Which, of course, points back against his glory. For everyone... Verse 4, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Now, we've stated earlier in, in, in the intro that the world here is referring to a system, a way of doing things, a lifestyle that is in direct opposition to God. And though this text is saying that overcoming the world is a task that's already been completed, it's already been done for the believer, I want to look exactly uh, at what exactly the world and the system we are overcoming uh and i want to look at the world in in terms of that uh, just to make sure even even though john here is saying like for the believer for those that are born of god the world has already been overcome but i don't want to rush too far past it because then you look at the opponent as just measly and unable to harm you at all and basketball that's something they call as a trap game uh it's when you're normally it's when a very good team uh It's looking past an opponent that's right in front of them because they already figure that they're defeated. And then they look on to the next opponent, and because they didn't prepare for the opponent in front of them, they end up losing. So that's not something I want to happen with with us as believers. Even Even though John here is saying, listen, if you're a believer, the world has already been overcome. I don't want us to just simply throw the world out and act like it's not there and it's not enticing, it's not appealing, and it won't take hold of us. Turn with me to First First John chapter two, chapter two, verse uh, verses fifteen and sixteen. First John chapter two, verses fifteen and sixteen. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world As the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and pride of life. Some Bibles may read the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes and the pride of life. This is what I call my three G's, the lust of the flesh to gratify, lust of the eyes to get and the pride of life glory. The lust of to gratify, the lust to get and the lust for glory. What John is saying is that here we need to be crucified to the world to be mortified to the things, to the affairs, and to the enticements of it. The heart of the man is narrow and cannot contain both love, for it's too big. It's impossible. The world draws down the heart of man, uh, and so the more the love of the world prevails, the more of the love for, uh, for God dwindles and decays. Now, this love or lust is something... That we see from the text is not appointed from God. In fact, he calls, it, calls us from it. Unfortunately, this left intrudes itself from the world and the world becomes a usurper of our affections. Now, the world physically considered is a good thing created by God. Um, it should be seen as something good. It should be seen as something to be admired as the work of the Lord, something that is a shining forth of his reflection. But because we're in a corrupted state of sin, it instigates and inflames our vile affections and forms an alliance with the flesh. And then the flesh and the world join hand in hand and pit itself against God. Now, the lust of the flesh being subjectively uh, is the appetite of indulging fleshly pleasures and objectively we can see the flesh the lust of the flesh as being all of those things that excite and inflame the desires of the flesh then there's the lust of the eyes the eyes are delighted with treasures riches and rich possessions are craved by the eye and then we have the the pride of life a vain mind craving the grandeur of a glorious life it belongs to the one who thirsts after honor and applause now, mind you, the desires of the world are screaming out for attention. Galatians 5 says that the, the spirit and the flesh are, have daily and constantly pitted themselves against one another and are screaming to let their passions be known. So it's not like the flesh in the world are sitting back, letting you walk by without trying to entice you or grab hold of you. So we see in Galatians 5 that the spirit and the flesh are pitted against one another and basically you have to make a choice. But many times the issue is not that we want to be satisfied, it's that we're far too easily satisfied with the things in the world. Now the love of these things, these temporal things that draw you away uh, from the Father are from the world and not from the Father as we see uh, in verse 16. Uh, That uh, the world... Okay, so it's sixteen for all that's in the world, desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, pride of life. It's not from the Father, but it's from the world. Unfortunately, we we we've come in a day and age uh, where many of us are tired of, especially myself, hearing a whacked out gospel uh, where people are encouraged not only to uh, attain uh, but expect all of these things in the world that John is telling us don't come from the Father. And because of it, we're pushing believers to enjoy these things. We're pushing believers to a self-centered gospel uh, where they're being drawn more and more to self because their main objective is trying to obtain all of these temporal things. So uh, we can basically ascribe that the promises that God usually makes are not for the here and now. I mean, he does work amongst us while we're here. Uh, But the majority of the time when God promises something, it's for the eternal. So if you really want the blessings God has for you, and you really want those 10 steps to a better life, trust Jesus and hope in the eternal. I know there's only two. But trust Jesus and hope in the eternal. The difficulty, though, is that the world offers Instant gratification. The world offers something tangible that we can put our hands on right now. So it's difficult to reject the things of the world that we can have now and hope in things that we can't see that are promised to us in the future. Unfortunately, many people don't read verse 17 of John 2 where he says, and the world is... Is passing away along with its desires. So the point in relying and hoping in these temporal things is useless. Let's go back to the text, 1 John 5, uh, verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Here we see that our faith is the key to overcoming the world. Now, I hear people talking all the time about their faith and just throwing the word around and not really knowing what it means. Uh, You hear people all the time say, oh, I've got to rely on my faith more. As long as I still have my faith. uh, Unless you have a clear understanding uh, of what that faith is, you will never uh, overcome the things of this world. Uh, And many times, people who don't have a clear understanding of what their faith really means, they're the ones that not only won't overcome, but they don't want to overcome the things of the world. They would much rather stay in it. An incomplete understanding of the Christian faith uh, becomes evident in their love for the world and their retreating love for the things of God. It is evident in that faith and love go hand in hand and are vitally related. You see, faith is a is a basic principle, but a faith that does not manifest itself in love uh, towards both God and man is dead and worthless. The Christian love, uh, the Christian must one love God, love the people of God and the things of God supremely or he'll never be able to overcome the world. Who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. If your affection and your retention, if your goals and your aspirations, your friends, where you have fun, if all these things are set into the things of the world. Then I would highly suggest you do what Second Corinthians thirteen five says when it says examine yourself to test and see if you're actually in the faith, uh, because you can't love God and the things of the world. It's impossible. It's utterly impossible. And if you do love God and you do take enjoying uh, God and obeying his commandments, then you have already been granted the victory. Just thinking even about the earthly life of Jesus and uh, Mace last week murdered it uh, and he was talking about just uh, the a life with Christ. Uh, he's always reflecting on what life is going to be like with Christ in heaven always reflecting on on that Uh, and and just thinking about that and thinking about what victory over the world uh means uh to us believers where we no longer have to wrestle with the lust of the flesh where we no longer have to wrestle with the, the desires of our eyes where we no longer have to wrestle with uh the boastfulness and the pride of life uh and we get to eternally chill with the savior in heaven and the only remnants of sin left are the nail prints in his hands and his feet and the piercing in his side. Like B said, just imagine. So everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that overcomes the world our faith who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God ah i thought that was gonna be a little longer but it wasn't so i'm finished (laughs) (laughs) praise god praise god but just going into the new uh i really wanted to come from this text because going into the new year i really want us to take note of the fact what it looks like to love one another, what it looks like to love God, and the fact that in order to overcome the world, you need other believers. And not only do you need them, but you need to love them, not with a love that's selfish and beneficial to you, but a sacrificial love that says, I'm going to love them not based on their personality, not based on what they can do for me, but based on the fact that just like me, the Lord saved them through grace. So, ah, Praise God. Let's pray. Ah, uh, Lord. <laughs>